This morning, we are returning to our values series that we've been going through for the last several weeks here at New City. We're talking about values or core values. What is it that makes us who we are? What is it that we as a church are called to do uniquely among the mosaic of churches that God has called around the world and here in this city? What is God uniquely gifted or called us to do? Uh, Put another way, values are the motivational flames within us of shared convictions that will guide our decisions, and they also reveal our strengths, our, our callings, who we are supposed to be. And so we began several weeks ago with our first value, proclaiming grace. And then we moved on to praying dependently. Two weeks ago, we looked at living sacrificially. And today we come to renewing family. Now, renewing family is technically number five out of our six core values. However, this morning, since it is Mother's Day, I wanted to help ignite or reignite a flame within all of our hearts to point us towards loving and investing in our family. So if you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to the Old Testament today. We're going to the book of Isaiah, and about midway through Isaiah chapter 39, Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah, like most of the major and minor prophets, are heavy. They are difficult to hear, um, but they are extremely important, and we do not avoid things that are difficult, particularly when they are in Scripture. Today's passage, today's chapter is very short. This whole chapter is only eight verses, and we're going to look at all eight verses, and it sort of serves as a crossroads within the book of Isaiah. The first 38 chapters really speaking exhaustively of God's punishment, God's justice, and judgment for the sins of His people and culture. And then after this little passage that we're going to look at, Isaiah begins to transition to the good news of hope, of salvation, that God will bring His people to repentance, and that He will restore them, and that He will save them. And so all the more, this chapter is important. Almost word for word, this chapter in Isaiah shows up also in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, so it illustrates how critical it is for us. Um, If you are using the community Bible reading, you will remember this passage perhaps because it came up on March 9th when uh, I was personally reintroduced to it. It is not a passage I've spent much time on before, but it really jumped off the page at me that morning, and so I jumped into uh, my triad with Eric and Luke later on that week, and we took some time to talk about Isaiah 39 and all that it uh, it has for us. This passage we're going to look at is about Hezekiah. Hezekiah, whether you've heard of him or not, he is a father who is also king, and he is king of a land called Judah. He is remembered as one of the best kings in all of Israel or Judah, Uh, but the Bible is also very honest about when he was faithful uh, and also when he experienced failures. The Bible is always very honest about both of those things in the lives of God's people. But what he's going to show us is what complacency looks like in family life, complacency. Now, we know as we gather together for worship this morning, some of us have been called and blessed to be parents, to be spouses, and others have been called and blessed to singleness. Um, Others of us have been called and blessed as well, but they desire or you desire to be married, to have children, and you have not yet, the Lord has not blessed you in that way, and you are waiting on the Lord and you are patient on Him. Let me just offer you this word of encouragement this morning that all of Scripture is for all of us. And when I talk to you about renewing family, it applies to all of us and we can be encouraged, first of all, in that God has made a family 
for all of us, that all of us are invited in by His grace, and that whether you have a spouse, whether you have children or not, God has called you and gifted you and put people around you that you too can invest in, that you can treat like family, that you can love like family. And so as we consider this core value as a church of renewing family, let us remember that it is for all of us this morning. So let's look at the Scripture now, Isaiah chapter 39. Beginning in verse 1, the scripture says this, at that time, Merodach Baladan, now let's just stop right there. If you are having a child this year and you have not chosen a name for your son or daughter, let me suggest to you from the Bible, a lot of us like to name our kids from the Bible, that Merodach Baladan would be a terrible choice. So don't do that. I do like this name though. At the time, at that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, of course, King of Babylon sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every word of Scripture is your word, that it is inerrant, that it is infallible, Lord. And we submit ourselves to you and your word this morning, knowing that you are a God of love and of truth, knowing that all good things come from you, that in your word is life and life abundantly, Lord that there are words of caution and that there are words of encouragement, and we pray that we might hear both, Lord. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear from your word this morning. Pour out your grace to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Four ways to renew family through Christ this morning. Now, you may have just heard that passage and never heard it before and be going, what on earth does this have to do with family, and why would you read this passage on Mother's Day? But... There is a lot here, so let's walk through it. The first application that we see, renew your family in the story of God's faithfulness in your life. Renew your family in the story of God's faithfulness in your life. We actually see this in verse 1. Let me read it again. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. 
A thing you should know, Hezekiah was a faithful believer who lived in an evil time. You can immediately put yourself in that category if you follow Jesus this morning. You desire to be a faithful believer and you live in a difficult and even evil time. 2 Kings chapter 18 summarizes Hezekiah's life in one sentence when it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. Those are idols. Those were the wicked things that his culture worshipped, and Hezekiah was a part of getting rid of them. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah. However, Hezekiah lived in an era of judgment and destruction of God's people because God's people had turned their backs on God and had embraced and worshipped the idols of that culture, and God had called them to repentance, and they refused, and so God was bringing destruction upon the wickedness of that culture. No connections to today. Israel, just so you understand, Israel and Judah were once together as the nation of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, but they broke apart. They had essentially a civil war, and Israel became the northern kingdom, and Judah became the southern kingdom. And to give you a little history, Israel had already been destroyed by God's judgment in 722 BC by the Assyrian Empire. That was God's vessel of judgment. He told them it was coming, and it came. And so Israel has been destroyed and carted off by Assyria 21 years earlier, it's now about 701 BC, and Judah, the southern kingdom, Hezekiah is king. Prophets like Isaiah, as we read this morning, Jeremiah, Hosea, and others continually warned God's people that judgment was coming through nations such as these if they did not repent. And now here also comes this man named Merodach Baladan from an unknown culture called Babylon. And if you've read anything from the Old Testament, you know that Babylon was even worse. Babylon was more powerful and more evil, and they will do exactly what Assyria has already done. And so Merodach Baladan, to use a Floridian metaphor as we move towards the summer, Merodach Baladan is the outer bands of God's judgment. The hurricane season is coming, right? First you get the outer bands, then you get the, the, the storm, the center of the storm. Merodach Baladan is the outer bands. Judgment is coming from Babylon. So Hezekiah is faithful and he lives in an evil time, but Hezekiah was also not perfect. Hezekiah was a broken king and a broken father, and in this moment in particular, more than any other in his life, he fails to live in light of God's grace in his life already. And we know that simply because of this little statement, he, Hezekiah, had been sick and had recovered. Verse 1, the previous two chapters tell us two very important stories that lead us into this story. And they tell us about God's miraculous faithfulness and grace in Hezekiah's life. See, 701 BC was a terrible year for Hezekiah and Judah. It was the 2020 of the ancient world. And so what he experienced was this. First of all, in 701 BC, Hezekiah is told by God that he is going to die. He is told by God through a prophet that he's going to get sick and die. And Hezekiah cries out to God in prayer, as we all should. And God hears his prayer, and God responds and says, I will not let you die. I will give you 15 more years of life. And God gives him 15 more years of life. That same year, after destroying Israel, remember Assyria 21 years earlier had destroyed the northern kingdom. Assyria shows back up again, and now they have their eyes set on Judah. 
And so at the same time that King Hezekiah is sick, now an enemy is coming to obliterate and cart off all of God's people there in Judah. And God does what only he can do. He does this amazing miracle that we see over and over again in the Old Testament. And God destroys 185,000 enemy troops and saves the day and saves God's unrepentant people. Hezekiah forgot both of those facts that had just taken place in his life. Look at 2 Chronicles 32 behind me on the screen. 2 Chronicles 32 tells us this. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride in his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. What should we take away here? Live out the abundance of God's fatherly grace towards you. Live out the abundance of God's fatherly grace towards you. That we don't deserve. It is a huge encouragement to me that this guy who desires to follow God makes a huge mistake and that God still loves him, that God is still faithful to him even though he has been unfaithful to God because that is my story as well. And I will make and we will make big mistakes and God will not walk away from you. It's encouraging me too that Hezekiah realizes his mistake or maybe even years of mistakes. He realizes his pride and he repents, and he asks for forgiveness, and he receives forgiveness from the Lord. It is a reminder to all of us, whether you're a parent or not, whether you are married or not, God does not love you because you are perfect. God loves you because Jesus is perfect. You understand the difference? Remember, God has always been faithful, has always been faithful. So let that reality shape your actions and your decisions as you lead and love your family. It means tell your kids, tell your family, tell your spouse, tell your friends, tell your church, tell your coworkers that God is good and that he has been faithful in your life. Even as I think about my own story, God saved me from a life-threatening illness when I was in fifth grade. He cared for me. He carried me through. God carried me through incredibly severe anxiety and depression as a teenager that God ultimately used to bring me to saving faith in Him. When I was in college, I nearly drowned trying to save another man who was drowning, and God, I believe, miraculously saved us both. I'm incredibly thankful to God because at every moment and juncture in my life, when I needed it the most, God sent godly men into my life who mentored me, who taught me, who cared for me, who discipled me, and who showed me what it meant to follow hard after Jesus by grace, knowing that I would make mistakes. You know, the Lord provided basically every cent of my entire college and seminary education. It's amazing to me. Is it a miracle? Maybe not technically, but I know that the Lord provided for me, and I want to live in light of that faithfulness. I wanted to meet my wife in my early 20s, and by God's grace, I didn't. I wasn't ready, but I met Alana in my light 20s, not when I wanted to meet her, but when the Lord knew that I needed to meet her. And by God's grace, we are married now, and we have the three most amazing children on the planet, who also sin all the time, by the way. But as I think about my own life, I want those stories to be on display in front of my children, 
in front of you as my church family. I want us to be able to rehearse the ways that God has been good in the past because we know it's a broken world. We know bad things are going to happen. And we know that God is good in all of those circumstances. All things work together for the good of those who love him. Those promises are real for God's people. So when we face difficult circumstances, we can live in light of God's grace in our lives in the past. I believe that that is what God is teaching us this morning from this passage. Let's look at number two, though. As we continue to walk through this passage, renew your family in the truth of who God says you are in his word. We see this in verses two through four. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? There's the key words. And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then, Hezekiah, or then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. This tells me, first of all, something that maybe is incredibly obvious, but we forget. Keep the enemy far away from your family. We see this abundantly clear here in verse 2, because the world and Satan lies to you about who you are and what you are called to do. They cannot and they will not tell the truth. The world wants to tell you that rather than being a loved, blood-bought child of God, that you are defined by your money, your income, your social standing, how you compare with a model on a magazine cover, or that you are somehow the product of blind evolutionary chance. That is a lie. Do not let the enemy near your family. The world wants to deny who God lovingly made you. Boys and girls. The world wants to deny who he has made you to be as a family. One husband, one wife, married together with Christ as the center and the head of the family. The enemy wants to tell you that you are not a blood-bought child of God, but that you are your mistakes. You are your failures, and you cannot change, and you cannot do any better, and there is no hope. That is what the enemy wants to tell you. And Hezekiah shows us the danger of listening to the enemy. And Hezekiah shows us the danger of letting the enemy into your home. He was a fool to let them in. Hezekiah also is a fool because he claims that the Lord's treasures are essentially his own. And they're not. They're the Lord's. And he misidentifies what treasure is in the first place. Hezekiah was clearly in this passage open to flattery from the enemy. But do not be unclear. They were the enemy. They had come for two reasons. For their benefit, what they could steal, and to destroy him. Those are the only reasons that the enemy comes. Then Isaiah shows up, and Isaiah literally brings the word of the Lord. He is an Old Testament prophet, and he is speaking the words of God to Hezekiah. And his first question is, who are you listening to? Believer, who are you listening to? 
What did they say? Where did they come from? If you want to know if someone is speaking the truth, just ask them, who is Jesus? Listen to their response, and you will know whether or not you can trust what they say. Who is Jesus? The point that Hezekiah is learning here is do not listen to liars. Listen to the word of God. And so parents, I would say to you, all of us, I would say to you, be discerning about what you are listening to. Be discerning about the TV that you watch and the movies that you watch and the things that are on your Xbox. Parents, listen to what your kids are learning in school and ask them, what are you learning? Be discerning about who your close friends are and who you are allowing to speak into your life. Not that you should only have believers as friends. You should not. You should have many friends, many of whom are not believers, but be discerning about who is speaking into your life. Be discerning about what you are reading. This just in, some things on social media are not true. Some things on the New York Times bestsellers list are not true. Be discerning about what you are listening to. And Isaiah says, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. So I say to you, teach your family. Not that. Teach your family who God says you are and what God has called you to do. Psalm 127 is five verses, one of my favorite passages when thinking about the family and renewing family. We could preach a whole other sermon on it, which I will not do. But listen to Psalm 127 and its five verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. If you just learned what the word charcuterie means this morning, let me also inform you the word quiver. Quiver is the little backpack where you put all the arrows. Blessed is the man whose backpack is filled with arrows. Blessed is the mother or father who has been given by God many children, is what the scripture is saying. I love this. If you want to renew your family, it says, then build your home. Watch over your family. Take responsibility and work. Toil for your family. But remember that when you labor without the Lord and recognizing that He is in control of all things, you will labor in vain. Children are a blessing. All children, all the time, even when they do goofy things. Children are a blessing. Children are a gift. Children are a reward. Children are the true treasure that Hezekiah has somehow begun to lose sight of. And our children are to be prepared by us for battle to serve the Lord. That's our our role. Our goal is for our families. As a church, as families, our goal is that our children are discipled to know and love and follow hard after the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him. Our children are not ultimately ours. They're a gift on loan from the Lord. No matter how much you love them, and I know how much you love them, God loves them more. Thank you, Lord. And as we sung earlier, in Christ, 
We are no longer a slave to sin or to fear. We are children of the living and loving God. And so where you have failed, remember that your identity is no longer your sin. Your identity is in Christ. Where you have failed and let the enemy in, there is forgiveness. There is hope. God made you. He loves you. He forgives you. He has given you his Holy Spirit to empower you, to change you from the inside out. Third, as we continue to walk through this passage, number three, renew your family by loving them more than you love yourself and your stuff. This is incredibly amazing to me. Verses six through eight here, we get this idea, renew your family by loving them more than you love yourself and your stuff. Verse six, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Hezekiah, in this passage, loved himself more than his sons, loved his stuff more than his family. His thought process is basically this, and this is a danger for us all. The next generation is basically going to hell, but I don't care because it's not going to happen while I'm alive. Think about that mentality. It is easy for us to slip into that way of thinking. I am okay. I am comfortable. I'm not going to worry about the next generation of people on the planet or of believers. And we get there the way that Hezekiah got there. Self-absorption. Listening to the enemy, not resisting temptation. Complacency is what brings us to this tragic moment that Hezekiah says one of the dumbest things that he probably ever said in his life, which is essentially, my comfort will come at the cost of my family's lives. It's broken. It's messed up. It's tragic. Men, fathers, husbands in this room reject the world's plan for manhood. The world's plan for manhood is this. Grab everything that you can for yourself, for your comfort, and let your wife raise the kids. That is the world's plan for manhood. Reject that garbage. What God the Father in his word gives us is a plan, a version of manhood is this, which is godly, bold leadership and headship that manifests itself in sacrificing love for your wife and your children. I will do whatever it takes to put them first. I will step into the difficult situations always. I will put them first always. I will sacrifice for them first always. And my comfort is not my concern. It's the Lord's concern. He will take care of it. That is God's plan. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And if you're not married, if you if you're, don't have children, take notes. This is what the Bible is calling us into as moms and as dads. And God wants to prepare you for that day when you will have spouse or children. But right now, Right now, who is it that God has placed in your life that you can love 
in a familial way that you can love as a father, as a brother, as a sister, as a mother, that you can care for and bring into your world, your life, your family. You may not have been called to love someone who is biologically your family, but you absolutely, by the grace of God, as a father who calls us into family, can invite others into family. Who can you love? Who can you serve? Our wickedness, our sin in this area is most assuredly going to affect our kids' lives. Just to drive this point home, look at 2 Kings 21 on the screen behind me. This is where it ends up. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father, Hezekiah, had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Verse 6, he sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. This is Hezekiah's son. And in 586 BC, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who maybe you've heard of, king of Babylon, will destroy Judah, killing thousands, carrying off its people, and subjecting them to slavery. And so the Bible says clearly here, stop kicking the can down the road and teach and live the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your family. Look at the example positively of the apostle Paul as a mentor, and two ladies, a mother and a grandmother. I absolutely love this passage. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, and it's a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young man who loves Jesus and is following after him. Paul, he's addressing this letter to Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here is Paul. He is not Timothy's father, but he is treating Timothy like a beloved son. We don't know where Timothy's father is. The scripture does not tell us. But what we are told explicitly is that his mom and his grandmother loved Jesus. And that from the very beginning of Timothy's life, they taught Timothy how to know and love and follow hard after Jesus. And they did a great job by God's grace. And Timothy has grown up to be a man after God's own heart. I told you each week during this series, the six weeks of considering values, that I want to give you a specific immediate application to consider in the week that follows. And so my application to you this morning is this. Take time this week to prepare for how you will use this summer to renew your family in knowing God. Take time this week to consider how will you renew your family in knowing God. The summer is upon us. If you have small kids, they're going to be out of school. If you are married and your kids are gone, they're still your kids. 
If you are married, consider who your spouse, how you might grow with her. If you are single, consider who would God place in your life to do the same. Maybe it is prayer and devotions with your spouse. Maybe it's reading a book about marriage or parenting or discipleship. Maybe it's choosing some scripture to memorize together as a family this summer. Maybe it's some sort of devotional or Bible study that you want to take your kids through together this summer. Maybe it's Christian counseling that you and your spouse need to do together on an area that you've just been avoiding. Maybe it's, you don't even need to go there. Maybe the two of you just need to sit down and talk about an area that the two of you have been avoiding for far too long. Maybe it's just apologizing and repenting to your family for ways that you have sinned, knowing that God forgives, knowing that they will forgive. But I want you to consider this week, how can I renew my family this summer? Fourth and final, I just want to encourage you with this. Renew your family by believing God is a better family than anything this world can offer. You can only do renewing family by God's grace, by God's power, by God's love. God is your family if you are in Christ. God renews you if you are in Christ. God is on your side if you are in Christ. And if you are not in Christ, then let this be the call that you go, I need Jesus. I need him as Savior. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I would say this to you. If you want to renew your culture, then renew your family. If you want to renew your family, then renew in your heart, in your gut, a commitment that Jesus is what you need. Not anything else that this world can offer. God the Father, think about this. God the Father said, I will not sit back and let my children die. I'll come for them myself. He is not like Hezekiah. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Jesus, his son, frees us to admit our sins and our failures. See, because when we sin, Jesus said, I will take responsibility for their sin. He did not run in the opposite direction when the enemy showed up. He said, I will die in their place. Jesus is the opposite of complacency. That's why Romans 5 says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And if you are a believer, then you have been given the Holy Spirit in you to comfort you, to lead you, to guide you, to sanctify you, and to give you joy. That's why Romans 8.11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Look to Jesus. Amen? Let's take a moment. Let's pray together.